Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek, and I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, Patricia has an article for us. So before we kick into seeing how things have been going, what's been going on in our lives, do you want to tell us what we're going to be talking about today for our article? Sure. So this article is about leaders and when leaders use stigmatizing language about COVID-19. So saying things like Kung flu, for example. Um, and but So when leaders do that, what does it lead to? And basically the study, just spoiler alert, talks about the negative experiences in the workplace for all employees, but especially Asian employees. Hmm. That's super, A, that's super interesting and important because... There has been an uptick, as I'm sure most of our listeners have seen, in anti-Asian hate crimes that are occurring uh, not just in the U.S., but also globally. Um, And so obviously that's a big issue that we want to address and tackle. And then the question becomes, okay, well, why um, has this been happening since COVID began? Um, And it's really interesting to learn more about how much language matters when we're discussing uh, COVID and how much this could make an impact on um, not just, you know, others' behaviors, but the actual experiences of Asian employees as well. Yeah, it's super important. I think that it's really critical for us to address this and maybe have people stop doing this. And uh, the study actually, like kind of at the end, the authors noted that you know, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID, right? Like COVID may be around forever. We always, everyone hears about the idea of like having basically a flu shot, like a COVID shot you get every year, right? So if that's the case and we keep calling it something terrible, like, right. you know, something that has a stigmatizing word within it, then we're going to continue this cycle. That's definitely problematic. Totally. Completely agree. I'm really glad that you're bringing this up. We've been talking a bit about this in my um, diversity and globalization course um, as well. And uh, I have not, I saw this article come out and really wanted to read it actually and did not, I have it on my list, but haven't read it yet. So now I can learn about it from you instead, which is awesome. So I (laughs) am looking forward to hearing more about the results and I appreciate you bringing up this really important topic. Um, Before we get into that though, um, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I think I've told you already, but I want to tell everyone that I went to brunch this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Big news. (laughs) I just loved when you told me because you were just describing a restaurant, but like it just sounded so amazing. You were like, I went, I sat down, they brought me food. (laughs) I ate it next to other people. Like I was like, this is sad but this is just a description of a restaurant <laughs> yep <laughs> basically that's how long it's been I mean it's been yes. over over a year and yeah. Danny and I went to a restaurant um the day that we were like past the two weeks after getting the second dose uh which was obviously wonderful and lovely but then on Sunday we went with a couple friend with of ours like we went with two friends and we were together at a restaurant and afterwards we went and got got a beer at like a brewery like it was just it was like real life sort of and we haven't had that in so long so it felt amazing um yes and I know I was describing brunch like 
to somebody as if you've never been to a restaurant before. But it was very weird to have someone bring me like a cocktail with like all these fancy ingredients that I never would have at my own house. Or yeah. I mean, even all the meat, like the whole meal, like we shared everything, which we always do. And we decided we're going to do it again and not share. You know, we had serving spoons. We were still like being decent i guess but potentially <laughs> put your face in each other's plates <laughs> yes or it. use the same forks or like put our fork <laughs> our dirty forks into something uh which i mean whatever but it was like weird so i had like a bunch of different things for brunch like if i'm gonna have brunch at home i'm gonna make like pancakes and bacon like it's just gonna yeah, be two things sure. and we had like french toast and uh benedict and these biscuits and the uh, shrimp and grits and like this uh, veggie thing. Like we had all these different things and I got to eat all the different things. <laughs> it was amazing. So exciting. <laughs> that is very exciting. And also like Brendan and I have talked about this before too. And obviously this is like a conversation of, you know, not, this is not the biggest problem that people have had during COVID by far. <laughs> but um, we were talking the other day about how we've been doing a lot of takeout and we're the same. We haven't been in a restaurant since uh, the last meal that we had at a restaurant was we got lunch with a friend of mine from college um in old town alexandria and then like two or three days later we were on lockdown so we didn't know obviously nobody knew whatever that that would be the last time we'd be out but you know that was a long time ago now that was uh over a year ago so um we were saying that like while takeout is good like it you know you it sits there for a while it's you have to transport it back to your house or like it goes in a you know delivery person's car and then it's in their car for however long and by the time it gets to you like it's not the same as like I mean it's still good but it's like you can tell the difference if you get takeout from a good place versus getting it from the restaurant it's not the same yeah um so I was like it'll be so like nice to enter into like the world of having food that like was just made and now it's like in front of you as opposed to like it was made and then sat there and then got picked up by a person and then sat in their car for 45 minutes and then came to you. <laughs> yeah. It's it's actually shocking because the f- well, the first place we went to, like everything was hot. I mean, everything was hot at brunch too, but I, I apparently got used to the idea that everything was going to be hot between the first restaurant and brunch <laughs> because it didn't seem as shocking to me at brunch, <laughs> which sounds stupid. But yeah, like this, I totally know what you mean because we were sitting there and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is like hot this food is hot right now (laughs) like the like we went to a steakhouse and like I had mashed potatoes and like they were almost too hot to eat in a moment like you had to let it cool down and it was so weird I was like what is going on we have like COVID mouth we're like I don't know what hot food is anymore please help me um makes a difference though it does and I mean not for whatever like obviously I have fun hanging out at home with Brendan too but like you know, when you're in the house all week long and then you're together in the house on the weekend and it's just the same, like the two of you, there's only so many new things that have occurred. And like, (laughs) as you know, I can like, you know, basically talk about any amount of things for any period of time. And everything that happens to me during a day is potential shareable content. Like I have (laughs) no problem doing that. But even like for me, it's like, one of the things that I really like about not just like restaurants, but being out in public is like, you see so many other people and there are so many other things to talk about. Like, like 
you know, like, what are those people fighting about? Or like, <laughs> that was a date that seemed awkward. You know what I mean? Like, then you have like stories of things that happen or just like people you meet, like, you know, you sit down at a bar to have a drink and the people next to you are like, cool. And you start having a conversation and it might be like 20 minutes or something, but it's still like, oh, that was interesting. Or maybe they're weird. And then you talk about it for like six months for like after it happens, like some weird line they said, like, who knows? But it's like you have none of those interactions at all for the last year totally that's a really good point because I mean I will say that everything was still pretty spaced out so it's not like you're as close where you may overhear conversations but definitely that's been a thing before right like you overhear something and you're like oh my gosh these people are talking about something so funny or so weird or so whatever and then uh I also like I just think about like there's one time I have to tell the story because you just got me on this thought but it's so true like this happens um, and it makes for really funny stories that last forever like I have two really weird stories about people interactions at restaurants that happened (laughs) pre-COVID and like I don't know if I've ever told you them but like there was one where I was actually in uh, DC and I was at a restaurant called Founding Farmers oh yeah uh, with my sister so my sister was visiting me this is when I was living back there And we were having lunch and she went like we were done. Like we were basically done. Like I was full. And then we had a little bit of this pizza left and my sister went to the bathroom and then the table next to me, like the guy leaned over and was like, Hey, are you going to finish your pizza? (laughs) And I was like, uh, no. And he, so he's like, do you mind if I take it? I was like, okay like what do you say to that so weird but then that's pretty funny I know it was so weird but then my sister comes back and she was like did you eat the pizza and I was like no <laughs> and she and, 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 and I was trying to give her eyes like this something weird happened and she was like if you wanted to eat the pizza you should just eat the pizza you don't have to eat it when I like leave and like hide it from me and I, was like, <laughs> I was like that's not what happened no. that's not what happened the people that next to us took the it. pizza <laughs> so strange <laughs> that's pretty funny I mean I understand like if somebody's like getting up like they already got up there like leaving and there's I mean I don't I wouldn't do it but I understand like if they're like oh literally there's like untouched pizza on those people's table and it's just gonna get thrown out being like hey we want that but like if you're still sitting and like somebody like just went to the bathroom they might come back and still want like that's like so strange it was so strange I yeah it was strange and then the other weird one that came to mind as you were talking is uh, Danny and I were at brunch once at the Tasting Kitchen, which I think I've taken you there yes. um, in L.A. And we were sitting and like every back in the day, all the seats are pretty close together. So you're like pretty close to the table next to you. And there was a couple on a date, the table next to us. And the girl got like a little salad and the guy got the chicken and waffles. And he goes to the bathroom and she starts eating his chicken and waffles. <laughs> <laughs> and she looks at us and she goes these are some of the best chicken and waffles in the city, but you know, I have to appear dainty. And I was, I was dying. <laughs> and so then we have this whole conversation with her about chicken and waffles. And, but as soon as she sees him coming back, she like stops talking to us. And then the date clearly was going not so well. And at the yeah. end of the date, she was like, Oh, it was so nice to meet you guys. Bye. And the guy looked at her like, what? Like, what did she talk about? <laughs> And she's like, little do you know, I made friends and ate your dinner. <laughs> and ate your waffles. Yeah, it was Never so Never go to the funny. bathroom again. It was really, really funny. one eye open. It felt like a no, TV show. Like, it was so funny. 
That's hilarious. No, and that's what I mean. It's like those interactions. Even you and I, when we went to um, the Whaler that one time and they set us oh, at that yeah. table of like <laughs> 12 people and then it ended up being a birthday party. And then we like randomly just became part of a birthday party of people. And they yes. were like cheersing us and they, and then they were like singing happy birthday and we were just like I guess we're just in this birthday party now and like we don't know any of those people and we'll never see them again but we spent like hours sitting at a table like not talking to all of them but like the ones that were near us and like whatever yeah. we were just like okay happy birthday like thanks for inviting us <laughs> to your party <laughs> I mean that was amazing yeah oh no, that just yeah. made me feel like even more nostalgic for all that stuff. It's like, I know step one is having brunch with the people around you. Step two is going, crashing someone's birthday party at a bar. Right. Accidentally. Yeah. Meeting random people and being like, they were fun or like they were weird or like whatever. Um, and then you get to like further, you know, forever you can be like, remember that girl that ate her dates, chicken and waffles. Like we don't, <laughs> ha we have been deprived of such random content for over a year. <laughs> so true. It's so true. It and makes the experience it even better. I know I went back my random content, but speaking of content that is not random, um, <laughs> we can dive into the article that you read, which is actually, we'll switch gears as well in terms of tone because it's a much more serious, um, article, but I am curious to learn more about this topic, um, and, uh, to hear about what you learned this week. Yes. So tone change for sure. Um, yes. I'll start with just kind of the name of the article and all that good stuff. So the article's called, the article is called Words That Hurt, Leaders, Anti-Asian Communication and Employee Outcomes. And it was written by June and Wu uh, this year, 2021. And it was published in the Journal of Applied Psychology. So it's part of uh, the research, I think we've talked about a few articles on the podcast around COVID, um, like some of those kind of speed tracked studies to get um, stuff out there that's really relevant to the moment we're in today. Um, so it's part of those kinds of studies that are coming in to that specific journal. Awesome. Okay, so that all sounds great. And uh, I know that that special issue was like a rapid review. So the articles are a little shorter, a little bit more palatable, but I also know that they're available for free to everyone. So yes. the other cool thing is that if anyone's interested, you can just Google journal of applied psychology and pull up the website. And a lot of these COVID articles or all of them, um, I think yeah. are still free to the public. So you can, if you're interested, you can actually get this article and use it in your workplace, which is kind of cool and not always the case with the articles that we profile. Totally. Yeah. I actually have the link that I'll be putting in the show notes that is directly to the PDF of this article. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. So tell me more about what they found and what's going on in this article. Yeah. So this article started off with talking about uh, exactly what you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, how there's been growing reports of racial harassment and violence against um, the Asian community. Uh, they specifically were looking in the U.S., so Asian Americans during COVID. And they understand and there's a lot of research that shows how leaders communicate can have a big impact on the workplace. So the study was specifically looking at how using a racially stigmatizing label for COVID-19, which includes things like Chinese virus or Kung flu, um, and how those types of labels can impact employees. 
Hmm, so that's really interesting. When you're saying yeah. impact employees, uh, what kinds of things are you talking about? Yes. So they talk about uh, specifically the outcomes are emotional exhaustion and work engagement. Okay. So how can does this make people feel more exhausted at work? Does it make them feel less engaged? Um, and they look at a number of different things that can cause that. So like, let's say you have somebody that is saying Kung flu when they talk about COVID, um, how, what kind of reactions do people have? So they looked at that and then how that might impact exhaustion. So it looked at things like, um, interpersonal justice perceptions. So that's mm. the idea that like, it's basically the extent to which somebody, believes that they're treated with dignity and respect by their leaders. Um, yeah. so, so they look at that. They also look at moral anger, um, mm. which is basically anger that is provoked by the perceptions that some sort of moral standard was violated. Okay. And that then makes sense. the final thing they looked at in terms of uh, perceptions was public collective self-esteem. And so that's basically how you perceive how other people evaluate your social group. So how do people view, in this case, how do people view Asians in the public? Okay, gotcha. Okay, so they're looking at those things as kind of mediators for the engagement and exhaustion piece. Yeah, so they looked in in a couple different studies um, and looked at two different yeah, they looked at the outcomes um, in one study. Didn't you look at everything that I just talked about? Mm-hmm. And the second study, they looked at more depth to kind of understand like what causes interpersonal justice perceptions to change. So that's really gotcha. what the driver was here. It's, you know, if a leader is using one of these terms, how does that impact interpersonal justice? And does that lead to exhaustion and work engagement changes? Mm-hmm. And then the second study looked at like the next step. Like, so before interpersonal justice perceptions change, what's happening? What's the immediate reaction? Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So that's where the um, moral anger and the public perception piece comes in, or the public perception piece comes in somewhere else? Yep, but you're right. They both come in okay, at that cool. point. Yeah, awesome. so when I talk about the results, I think it'll make it clearer. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, cool. So, um, and I like those I like those variables. Um, you know, moral anger is an interesting variable because it's not the same as just like regular anger it's like anger coming from a place of feeling like someone has done something immoral um so uh that's that's uh definitely an interesting and new variable or a new take on that emotion so that's also a kind of a cool newer piece of the paper yeah it is really interesting I've never seen well I probably have at some point but I can't think of a study off the top of my head that has used that uh I there's probably studies in the justice space that have used that more often than maybe I'm in that literature. But uh, they basically talked about how there's this model of justice. It's the deontic model of justice. Um, and what that, that model argues is that both the victim and a third party, um, they both, both groups. So if you're, if a leader is saying something that's negative or they're harassing one person, the victim and the third party, the person that's not even directly being mistreated, can have an emotional reaction to this violation of some of moral standards or norms. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. It's not, so if yeah. I see someone in my workplace being mistreated, the model says it's not just bad for the person that's experiencing the mistreatment directly; it can also be bad for someone who vicariously experiences that. 
Yep, exactly. So if they okay. see that somebody else is experiencing this, there's potential for them to also get angry about that, um, which I'm sure everyone can understand that concept or feeling. They've probably been there before. Uh, and then that can lead to changes in that interpersonal justice perception. So it's not just that, at least in theory, um, and spoiler alert, this is what they find, but at least in theory, if if I see someone being mistreated, even though I'm not personally being mistreated, I might perceive that my leader is res- less respectful of me or treating me with less dignity, even though I am not the one that's the victim in that instance. Yeah. And so it ostensibly makes you feel angry from a moral perspective that this is happening and because you're feeling angry about the morality that you're seeing around you, your perceptions of justice go down. And we know justice perceptions are really important in the workplace for promoting a whole bunch of things. But if people see the workplace as being interpersonally disrespectful um, in a way that certain groups are treated with more or less respect than others, it doesn't just send a signal that the person that as you're saying experiences um that disrespect um is going to have a bad time at work but it also sends a message of oh that could happen to any of us not only am I upset that it happened to that person but it also sends a signal like wow this isn't a place where people are treated justly and that could be mean bad things for any of us including me exactly exactly you've got it yeah so those are the theories that they have in place in this paper and then obviously they test them. So I'm going to talk about each study separately so I can talk about the results a little bit differently for both. Um, So I'll start with study one. And it was, again, we talked about how this paper is one of those ones that kind of got, was quickly done in the moment because of what we're experiencing today. Uh, So it's a little bit more simple of a design than maybe some of the other studies we've talked about. Uh, So the first study is a survey that they did of working adults and what they we're measuring is understanding how often a leader uses a stigmatizing COVID-19 label. So participants were reporting the frequency of six different labels. So the labels that they included were Chinese virus, China virus, Wuhan virus, Kung flu, Asian virus, and foreign virus. Okay. Um, so those are the six. And then they asked them questions around interpersonal justice perceptions emotional exhaustion, and work engagement. And they asked um, over 500 employees, um, so people, again, that were in the workplace, and made sure there was a decent split. They wanted like half and half Asian, non-Asian, and they Mm -hmm. had 253 um, Asian employees in this study. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So, and it's a one-time point survey? Exactly, yep. Okay. Yeah, so they asked them how they you know, how leaders use this label. And then when they ask them questions about like interpersonal justice perception, so just so you know, which is a potential, I think there's a potential issue with this question, but when they were talking about interpersonal justice perceptions, they were saying since COVID-19, to what extent does your supervisor treat you in a polite manner, treat you with dignity, treat you with respect, stuff like that. Um, So trying to really pinpoint like during this time period, I will say right. that could be confounded with a lot of changes that were happening as people were right. shifting because this study right. was done in the late April of 2020. 
Yeah, and I mean, obviously they don't have any way of knowing whether or not this, um, while they're trying to pinpoint it and say, okay, you know, we have a very specific independent variable of like how frequently is the person saying this. So we need to cap the time frame that we're trying to predict of like, okay, it needs to be something that happened during this time frame. So the outcome also needs to be happening during this time frame. But I would imagine that people who are talking about COVID in this way in the workplace more frequently may also have other unjust behaviors that they've engaged in. So it may also be that this is part of a broader um, pattern that this, this may be not the only thing that's causing those perceptions as well. Exactly. Like it could be that the, that same leader, you know, if they're calling it the Kung flu may also not take the virus seriously and be expecting employees to, you know, still show up at work or making fun of masks or, you know, there could be a lot of other things going on. Um, So, but with that caveat, um, they do find some linkages. So I think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And then they, like I said, they measure emotional exhaustion and work engagement. So what they found was they found that about 20% of their participants said that their supervisors used these COVID-19 labels. So I think that's, I mean, that's a pretty big percentage, but it's also yeah. kind of good that it's not I was like nervous. I was going to see it was like 80%. So when I saw 20%, I took a deep breath. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's still higher than I would think one in five, but it's still, I mean, obviously it's, it's not the majority, which is good. Yes. Um, Yeah. So they saw 20% of people said that their supervisors use the labels and what they found is exactly what we were talking about in that theory. So if a leader uses a word, um, they say the Chinese virus, let's say they, that leads to employees to feel like they're not respected by their leader in the workplace, which then leads to them being more emotionally exhausted and less engaged at work. And so this was true for everybody, but then it was even bigger of a problem if it was an Asian employee responding. Okay. So the impact of that was greater for the Asian employees versus non-Asian employees, but everybody didn't benefit from that. Exactly. Yeah. So everybody's well-being was impacted and everybody was less engaged. Um, But yeah, the bigger the bigger impact was for the Asian employees. Okay, that's really interesting. So it's not a good idea in general, um, but it has this particularly strong impact on individuals for whom it's directly relevant. Um, So that makes sense. Um, I'm curious to hear about the lab study because I want to know how they built on this and the lab study would help tack down some more of the causality. Yes. So the lab study they used, um, it was a vignette study. So if I think we've talked about it before, but we'll talk about it again, just so everyone's aware. Basically what happens in the vignette is a participant will get something to read. It'll be like a little story, right? Like imagine this thing or let's like basically what they told them is imagine that you work for this large manufacturing company and you were told that a supervisor sent out this message to all employees about the new COVID-19 policies, right? So everybody would read this message from a supervisor. Some people would get a message that had neutral language, right? It would say coronavirus or COVID-19 
And some people would get a message that had the more stigmatized language. So Kung flu, uh, Chinese virus, etc. And then they also looked at race, right? They looked at Asian participants versus non-Asian participants. Um, same, same process where they had, uh, they actually had 400 participants in this study and they had about a 50-50 split, almost 50-50 split between Asian and non-Asian participants. Okay. Awesome. That sounds really good. Um, and it's, in, I think it's good that you explained the vignette process too. Um, and of course the idea is that whatever you read is going to directly influence your responses on the following things that you're going to be asked about. And I'm guessing that they were, uh, also saying that they thought that Asian participants would be more impacted by reading this than other participants. Exactly. Yes. So they asked, um, after somebody read the vignette, they were then asked questions about moral anger. So, to what extent did you feel the following in response to the labels for COVID-19? Um, and so it included anger, being upset, hostile. Um, then they asked the public collective self-esteem questions. So the questions were like, overall, my racial group is considered good by the team leader. Um, or in general, my team leader respects the racial group that I'm a member of. Um, and so again, with them, as they're answering these questions, they're supposed to be thinking about being an employee that got this message, right? Mm -hmm. Then they also asked them about interpersonal justice perception. So do they feel like that team leader treats people with respect, et cetera? Ask them about emotional exhaustion and work engagement as well. Okay, awesome. Um, so what did they find? So what they found is that basically same idea as the last one. So participants that read the vignette that had these negative COVID-19 labels, um, saw lower interpersonal justice perceptions, they were more emotionally exhausted, and lower work engagement. But in addition to that, what you see is that for the Asian group, they felt that their inter the interpersonal justice perceptions were low because they also had high moral anger and low public collective self-esteem so basically mm. meaning they felt really angry from a moral perspective and they also felt like the um the leader in the vignette didn't care for their social group or their race mm -hmm. and then for non-asians um the public collective self-esteem went away which makes sense right they're not part yeah. of the group but the moral anger was still there so mm. the non-asian participants experienced moral anger from the what they read then that made them feel like they uh didn't think there was great justice and then they've you know said that they would be more emotionally exhausted in that job and have lower work engagement yeah okay and for the asian participants it went through sort of two pathways through both the public self-esteem and through the moral anger and the results were stronger, right? Yes, exactly. Yep, okay. exactly. So basically though, the big takeaway is that no matter who you are, if you see a leader talking in these derogatory ways, um, using stigmatizing labels, everybody it doesn't like it. Like no matter who you are, mm -hmm. you're going to be angry about it. Everyone got angry about it. Um, and then that led to them feeling like, you know, they aren't respected and then treated with dignity. They're more exhausted, less engaged. The only difference is that for Asians, that's a bigger effect. And 
they also felt like their social group was not respected. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that, you know, as we know, because people said, you know, 20% of leaders are saying these things, it's probably the case that these leaders are um, either not aware of or don't care that they're in enough of minority to want to use this language and to promote this kind of language that the average impact is negative um, and not recognizing the power of their words. I think a big takeaway is that, you know, you might think that you're just saying something or you might be saying something to get some kind of a reaction or think that it's funny or whatever the case may be of why you're saying these kinds of things. But if you want to be a good manager, you have to realize that the net impact of doing that is negative on everyone and not just, you know, it's not just an issue of, you know, obviously racism is a form of interpersonal injustice and inequality, but it's not just even about that specifically. It's like these broad perceptions that people have of you as a just actor. Um, So you're tainting your own reputation on average and creating problems on your team which exhaustion and engagement are directly linked to performance, even though they didn't put that in this study. So, um, you know, if you are one of those one in five people um, that, you know, had been using that language or continued to use that language, um, you are not in the majority and thinking that that is appropriate. And because of that, you're having really negative impacts on your workforce. So not only is it like the right thing to do not to say that, but even from a business perspective, it doesn't make sense for you and your career trajectory or for the company. Totally. It's really important to think that, you know, we're going to advocate all day long. That this is not a good idea to speak this way at work, period. It doesn't matter what impact it has. Like you should be, um, you know, kinder. And, and really this is racial harassment, right? This should be treated like any other harassing behavior. So like organizations should be taking disciplinary action when this happens, um, which I'm assuming maybe does, but I'm guessing that there's plenty of times where it doesn't happen. It's not always reported. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. It's probably not reported enough, but yeah. So I think there needs to be those kinds of actions because it is racial harassment. Really. That's what we're dealing with here. And so we're going to say, all day long that no matter what you shouldn't do it but if you need a reason not to do it then thinking about the bottom line also is impacted right like we know that if all of your employees are feeling more exhausted and they're less engaged in their work you're not going to see the performance that you want to see out of your team so just from a bottom line perspective you should think you should care right so even if we can't get you on board with the right thing to do perspective Um, I'm assuming our listeners are probably on board with that. But if you have leaders or you're in an organization that doesn't care about that, um, I think it's important for them to understand that this is also going to impact their performance as well. And if you're hearing other folks saying these things and, you know, it would be really difficult, I think, and based on what we know about when people raise concerns about issues that are self-relevant. So if I uh, face sexual harassment in the workplace and I bring it up, Um, I'm less likely to be taken seriously because I'm seen as having like a horse in the race as opposed to if a man said I saw this person be harassed and it was really negative they're given more credibility in that case because they're not seen as like you know having a gendered bias or whatever which obviously is not I'm not condoning that but that's just the literature shows that that's how people perceive that so it's probably really difficult for Asian employees to think about bringing this up to HR reporting this but 
if you're not Asian and you witness these behaviors, it might be good to go report these things to HR, um, use an anonymous reporting mechanism if you have it. Um, and you know, you can use this information to make the case for why this is important for them to pay attention to, um, that, you know, this is hurting team morale from an engagement perspective. It's going to be exhausting for people in the long term, and that, you know, you think it's important that it get addressed. So, um, yeah, I think if you are a leader, um, hopefully, you know, you haven't been saying these things. If you have, it's really important to recognize that this is damaging all around. Um, and second, if you hear these things and you're in a position of, you know, slightly greater power in this scenario, you might want to leverage that to actually report it and make sure that it doesn't have the negative implications that it could. And I also want to make sure that organizations are thinking, Uh, broadly and taking this seriously too so yes report it if you see it and hear it if you are a leader in an organization if you're within the HR department and managing some of these types of complaints and issues you know take it seriously it's while it's not calling a person specifically a name or something like that it is still racial harassment to refer to COVID in those terms and you should take that seriously and make sure you're treating it as you would any other harassing situation. Yeah. I think that's a really good, important reminder. And, um, you know, every time that there's public awareness around, uh, an issue, um, unfortunately, even as we gain greater awareness of the harassment, discrimination and hate crimes that Asian Americans are facing during this period of time, every time, um, you know, inequities get raised, Uh, there's always going to be a subset of the population that grows defensive and pushes back on that by acting out using this kind of language or um, ignoring that the problem exists. And so I think it's really important to draw attention to this, not only as um, something from a values perspective that is uh, wrong and we should all work to eliminate in society, but also to know that the data is now supporting that this is not something uh, that is uh, that is creating any kind of uh, positivity as you might imagine but just not even outside of that community but more broadly so I think the more we can document the negative impacts of this uh, the more equipped people are to argue about the dangers of ignoring it or saying that it's not real or that it doesn't matter I think it's really important to make sure that we know that yeah I agree I think well I basically want to repeat everything you said, so I'm just not going to say it. But, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but uh, I do I do really think that it's important that we um, we take these things seriously. And I do think the study is very important and timely and hopefully can do some good that this study yeah. exists, that we can have these conversations. Um, I know that the community is definitely suffering and there's a lot of fear and then there's also a lot of dismissal which I've seen unfortunately um, Mm -hmm. to this experience so hopefully more research like this can help people you know become more aware of the problems with using these types of words and language and actually drive positive change instead of dismissing the issue yeah completely agree documenting that the issue exists one in five managers was reported to use this kind of language and that it has negative impacts uh, when it comes to issues that are very highly emotionally charged, data 
is often useful for making a case for why we should pay attention um, and uh, helps to turn an issue into, you know, it helps you to point to something that's concrete that can't be refuted by, well, I think this versus I think that, right? Even though people can try to do that, but, um, but really documenting the problem and showing that it has negative impacts because there's so little research on Asian Americans in general, I think is super helpful um, in this instance and beyond with regard to other uh, groups that face stigma and discrimination in society. So I'm really happy that you read this article. Thank you so much. It's really important and impactful. And I learned a lot today. So thank you. Of course. Happy to share it and happy to have read it and hopefully saved you a little bit of time since it was on your list anyways. (laughs) Yes, it did. Good. And for all of our fabulous listeners out there, we would love to hear your thoughts, your questions. Um, So please send us a note. Um, You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can always find us on our website, workerbeing.com and on social. Um, So we're at workerbeing on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, Also would encourage you to check out our courses. We've talked about it before, but we have some courses online. We have a free one um, as well on managing stress. So if you want more resources, that's there for you. And finally, we'd love for you to share this episode with somebody that you might find that you think would find this interesting or relevant to them. So please subscribe and share our show and leave us a review so others like you can find us. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.